This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Are you guys ready for the holidays? Are you ready for Thanksgiving yet? Uh, we had the Thanksgiving blessing this Sunday, and I hope you're praying for that and preparing for that this Saturday. See, I was making sure y'all were listening. See, you're listening. You're right there. That's good. Uh, tonight is the deadline to bring the canned goods and things of that nature, but uh, make sure that if you, you uh, need to volunteer, you talk to Pastor Kim and she can get your assignment. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how God's going to touch your lives. I, I've really grown to love Thanksgiving. I, I love it so much. Uh, several years ago, uh, one of my children said something, and now he says it every year. Around this time when he begins to see the Christmas decorations come up, he says, Dad, everyone's forgot about Thanksgiving because there's already Christmas decorations up in late October, early November. And sometimes uh, we're in such a hurry to enjoy Christmas uh, that Thanksgiving does just kind of creep up on us. And I love Thanksgiving because uh, it's not about commercialism and it's not about gifts because there's a certain type of pressure you have uh, to get a gift at Christmas and get the right type of gift. And, and Thanksgiving's more about fellowship and it's more about food and family and being together. But I wanted us to take a few minutes tonight to spiritually prepare ourselves for the next few days, because there's something special God wants us to be aware of during this time. I think it's wonderful that that of the traditions we have in America, we do have a time where we pause and we give thanks. And unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, we've forgotten how this all started, Thanksgiving. So I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about stuff you've heard before. But as you know, one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis is, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And so I hope that you're blessed tonight. And as we talk about, I talk about why Thanksgiving started, as we apply it to our lives, and then in just a few minutes as we move towards communion. See, the separatists that became known as the pilgrims had a call from God. That's something that, unfortunately, our children don't realize anymore because it's not taught in our public schools. It's something that we as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles need to remind them, and to instruct them. Uh, because they were called of God and their vision was to be a city set on a hill. Taking the language that was in uh, the Bible that Jesus said to be a city set on a hill. And they knew they couldn't do that as part of the Church of England. And so uh, they separated themselves and left in 1620. To come to this unknown land. And like anything God gives you, you see, God, when God gives you a vision, I'm sure it has to be part, it has to be so exciting. Many of you, you have a dream, you have a vision, you have an idea, you have a concept. And it's so exciting to talk about what can be. Idealism is so fun to talk about because you could talk about the dream and you could talk about the hope and you could talk about what you believe God wants to see happen without dealing with the reality at hand. And I'm sure for the pilgrims, they started out that way, uh, just excited about finally being able to worship God outside of the Anglican church and be able to form their own community, a city set on a hill. And so it is. They started out with two boats in August of 1620 and immediately, immediately they ran into to adversity because only one boat made it. The, the Mayflower, and 105 of them crammed into the Mayflower, and before they even left England, and they had to go to different ports and, and had, had to return, people started bailing on the vision right away. 
In fact, uh, Bradford, he called it the Gideon sifting, just like they did with Gideon's army. That They were being sifted. And those who were really called to the vision remain. And so they went on this journey across the sea that was just, uh, we have no way to imagine how difficult this was. It ended up being a seven-week journey. And on that time, there was all types of sickness, all types of problems. But because this group of people clung to the Lord and they clung to prayer, that they actually bonded during this time. And, and really, after they ran out of all their provisions and they were hopeless, they finally spotted land on November 9th of 1620. And when they spotted land, uh, that was exhilarating. That was exciting because they were at the end of their provisions. And they had no idea what awaited them. But here's the thing that I want to remind you of tonight. Because I want to remind you of this because some of you right now have been on like that seven-week journey. I mean, things have not been fun. This has not been a fun year for you. This is, you are in a stinking situation. Just like that boat stunk. Maybe your life stinks right now. There's no stability in your life. There's no anchor. You're being tossed about and there's nothing that you can really hold on to. But one of the things that as we talked just a few minutes about the pilgrims that I want you to remember is that God has a plan. And God, when he gives you a vision, even at the darkest times, the most difficult times, he hasn't forgotten what he told you. And the vision he gave you at the beginning, even though you're going to face adversity, it is still he is providing for you. Because the stories of the pilgrims was a story and is a story of incredible provision. They land there at Cape Cod and eventually came over to what we now know as Plymouth. And it just so happened that there was no Indian tribe that was really there. There were some nomadic Indians that were spying on them that did threaten them. But there was no dominant tribe there because a couple of years earlier, a few years earlier, this the tribe that had historically been there had been completely wiped out. And so there was land that was cleared and there were uh, uh, different favorable aspects for them to establish themselves there because uh, they landed at just the right place God wanted them to be. When they sent the explorers out at the very beginning, as soon as they landed, they were completely out of provision. But somehow, if you think about this, in this wild continent that no Western person had lived in, they happened to find a secret stash of corn. And that secret stash of corn was what got them through those first couple of months. You see, God had a plan all along. He knew where they needed to land. They landed 100 miles north of where they were supposed to land. They were supposed to land in Virginia, but they landed in present-day Massachusetts. God had them land at the just the right place. There was provision waiting for them right where they landed. There was also the closest Indian tribe to them they would later on meet would meet was now uh, anthropologists and sociologists look back and they say that it was probably the only tribe in the whole northeast that would have been uh, would have been friendly towards white people and that happened to be the closest Indian tribe there was to them but even though they had the vision and even though they made it across the ocean and even though that here they are in this new land and God had supernaturally provided for them that first winter in 1620 and 1621 was a very, very unthinkably difficult winter. It started in December. In December, six of them died. There were 102 of them, and six of them died in December. In January, eight of them died. And then February came. And February was a month where there was one part of the month where two to three of the pilgrims were dying every day. 
because of the, the small, not, not the Indian tribe, but the small nomadic Indians that were spying on them, they did not yet know uh, what their intentions were. So they would have to bury their dead at night so no one could see them. The month of February, 17 died. The month, month of March, 14 died. And if, my, if all of my math is correct from my memory, when everything was done, of the 102 that came, 47 died that first year. These were men and women who, for the most part, at least the separatist part of them, the, the, they came, the pilgrims, because they wanted to establish a kingdom, excuse me, a, a godly kingdom. They wanted to establish um, a place of religious freedom where they could worship God as they chose. And yet, even though God gave them the vision, and even though God provided for them, still there was a great, a great price they paid. But you see, God is always working behind the scenes. And I want you to understand that because God's working behind the scenes for this church. We're called to be a community. We're called to be a group of people. And somewhere in our future, and somewhere in our future, there are people God's preparing to be a blessing to our church. And here's the other thing. You as a leader, you as someone who's uniquely gifted by God, you're being prepared to be a blessing to a group of people. And I want to remind you about a a man named Squanto. That's a fun name to say, Squanto. Because Squanto probably was the most important person, if you want to trace the birth of of our country back to this group, that at our most vulnerable time, this Indian came into the camp. And he was the one that kept this group of people alive. You see, God had a plan for Squanto's life. Squanto came into the campground. He, he came after uh, another Indian came first and, and he was brought there. He spoke English and he had a very difficult life. Without, without getting too much into all the details, let me tell you about Squanto's life in case you've forgotten. He was captured by traitors and he was taken to England and he lived in England for nine years. And in those nine years, there he learned the English language. And somehow he found out a way to get back to the Americas. He came back to the Americas, and there he was captured a second time. At that time, he was sent to northern Africa to to be part of the slave trade. In northern Africa, there was a group of friars who they bought slaves and took them to monasteries to try to keep them from this oppressive life. They wanted them to become Christians, and Squanto was among that group. And he there learned about Christianity He somehow made his way back to England, somehow made his way back to the Americas, and he came to the area known as Plymouth. And here is the tragic part of Squanto's life. Remember the tribe that I told you that was completely wiped out before the pilgrims came? That was Squanto's tribe. And when he came back, every one of his relatives, every one of his friends, every one of his childhood companions were gone. They were completely wiped out. They were... Completely exterminated by disease. Can you imagine what that would be like? He, he had, I, I can just uh, uh, imagine that. His whole, this whole crazy scenario for him. He had just longed to be back with his people. And he got back to his homeland. And his people were gone. I would just imagine he, he would think my life is over. He would think that what purpose do I even have to live? What purpose do I have to exist? And he wandered around as a nomad and he was, he was eventually adopted into another tribe. And that was a tribe that got him in contact with this group of pilgrims 
that were about to be exterminated there. And he taught them how to plant corn, how to plant pumpkin seed, how to track deer, how to kill elk, excuse me, eels, maybe elk too, I don't know. But uh, he taught them a lot of different things that made their survival uh, viable and helped them to do that. They got through that, that winter. And after that winter, the governor called for a feast, a Thanksgiving. They had the first Thanksgiving that was a success. They went through two other brutal winters. And I'm not going to go through all the details now, but, but the second winter, uh, a whole other group of pilgrims showed up. And even though they were glad to see this group, this boat arrived, excuse me, one year after the first arrival. When the second group came, they realized they didn't have enough rations for the winter. And so what did they do? They decided that every day, the pilgrim, all they would get in the, in the Plymouth colony would be five kernels of corn a day. That was it. That's all they had that second winter to survive. Five kernels of corn a day. And yet, miraculously, not one of them died of starvation. And God brought them through. The second Thanksgiving came, and that was in 1623, so it was three years after they first arrived. And at the second Thanksgiving, a time that revolved around prayer, around friendship with the Indians, around games, around food. And this time, the, they began to prosper. The, the people, the, the pilgrims were prospering. And they had their big meal, but the first course of the meal was an empty plate with five kernels of corn on there. Even though they had all the food and all the provisions they wanted, they were never going to forget that first and that second difficult winter that God got them through. Now, I went through this whole little history lesson for a couple of reasons. Maybe because uh, at one time I wanted to be a history teacher and, you know, I get to scratch that itch tonight. But also, from a pastoral standpoint, and as a church standpoint, I don't want us to miss an opportunity God has for us over the next nine days or next eight days. Because what we can do is we can go through something that God has given us as a gift, a Thanksgiving celebration, and we could completely miss an opportunity for the proper type of reflection. And we can make it about the football schedule. We can make it about whose turn is it, to whose relatives are we supposed to go to now, and about the strife that we've been talking about on Sundays. And we can forget this incredible opportunity that God has given us to have reflection. And I think sometimes we, we are even too simplistic when we say just to be thankful. Because if you look at the scope of the story of the pilgrims, it's more than just gratitude. It's a story of survival. It's a story of destiny. It's a story of trusting God against all odds. It's a story of overcoming some of the deepest heartaches of life and the greatest adversities of life. It's more than just simply saying, what are we thankful for before we eat? It's much deeper than that. And that's why I think that Thanksgiving is more than the hour and a half that we have a meal. It's a state of mind. It's a pause. It's a rhythm in our year that says this is a time to reflect. And I think personally it's a great time to be a marking point in your life. God gives rhythms and seasons and holidays as a marking point in your life. But if, you're not, if you don't take that gift and use it, you'll just mindlessly blow through the holiday and it won't have any significance to you. You'll get focused on things that 
that are less valuable than what the Lord has for you. There's, there's a couple of thoughts. And what I wanted you to do tonight, I, I intentionally didn't put a fill in the blank. Because I, I, want, I want you guys, I want us to have a, a moment to pause and to reflect and to think. First thing that I want to encourage you, and this goes beyond tonight, this goes over the next eight days, is I want you to reflect on God's plan for your life. And I don't want you to make any mistake about it. See, it's so obvious today that we see there's over, there's 350 million people living in America today. And I have chronicled and spoken very bluntly about the trouble I think our nation's in. You've heard that sermon, and that is a true sermon. But if we look at it from another perspective, this nation over its 230 plus years of existence has been an incredible source of of light and dignity to the world. It has sent more missionaries to the lost people of the world. It has provided more humanitarian aid to other countries that did not have the ability to help itself. It has faced tyranny and it has looked at dictators and tyrants. And we have sent our sons and daughters to defend lands and people that weren't even our own. And there is a greatness within our nation that despite the sin that's here, there is still a greatness within our fabric that came from God. And it started at the beginning when the Mayflower Compact started. And even before, uh, at the very beginning, the principles and the spirit behind our land was God inspired this land to be great. And there was a vision for it. And I want you to make that parallel for your life. I think one of the greatest mistakes that we make as Americans is to not embrace our call from God. And as individuals, we make the same mistake. Don't don't think that your life is insignificant. Don't think that you're normal. Don't believe the lie that you're average and you're just wasting your years and you're just uh, passing the time and that you're being overlooked and that you're insignificant. That is a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from Satan. And one of the things that God wants to take us beyond just a general, thank you, God, that I'm not homeless, that is a good prayer. But there needs to be an appreciation that God, since the year I was born, since 1948, since 1957, since 1978, since 1982, whatever year it is, God, you chose that year. And you chose me to live in this time. And as Dr. Galden said the other day, this time, this place, this space. God, you have a plan for my life. Jeremiah 29 11. It's a beautiful scripture. It's a great scripture to read within context. Also, me and Tim Perry were discussing that the other day. But for the purpose of, uh, of tonight, let's read it again. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. As we get ready for communion tonight, as we are in this Thanksgiving season, I want you to feel that. I want you to embrace that. God has a plan for you. You've not been overlooked. You've not been forgotten. You you have a plan and a destiny from God that He has originated And He has set you for such a time as this. In this land, in this place, in this season. Acts 17, if you go back and read that, there's a beautiful scripture in there. That says in NIV, He puts men in the exact 
places so that they would seek the Lord. You have a great future. God, there's a reason you exist today. And as you move in this Thanksgiving time, and we think about the forefathers of this nation and realize that they had a great sense of destiny. They had a great, God had a great plan for them. We're no different either. Second thing I want you to remember is this, is I want you to trust that God is working within your adversity. James chapter 2, you've heard hundreds and, or dozens at least sermons on James chapter 2. It preaches so well. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yeah, I think about the, the pilgrims and they, 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 they started off with a dream. That dream was attacked from the very beginning. I mean, they were supposed to go in two boats. The first boat didn't even make it out of England. And then their troubles on the seas and then all the death that first winter. You see... One of the misconceptions we have is that when God gives us a vision, when God gives us a dream, when God reveals his plan, that it's going to be easy from there. But that's not the truth. Part of the reason God reveals his plan and vision is to give us strength on the journey and to give us strength in the adversity and to give us strength in the middle of the fight and in the middle of the sickness and in the middle of the despair. That's why God does that. And one of the things that I want you to do this Thanksgiving season is I want you not to sulk about your adversity. I know that's easy for me to say because I don't know what you're going through. But I know this, God knows exactly what you're going through. And let's not sulk about it, but instead let's trust. God, you're, you're at work. This season's not going to last forever. Every year is not going to be as bad as this year. It's not always going to be this difficult. You know, there has to be trust that God's taking you through. You're going through to a new place. You're passing through the troubled waters. You're going through the winter. Can I tell you, for some of you, winter is going to end. You feel like you've been in a winter a long time. Winter doesn't last forever. And spring is coming. And newness is coming. Harvest season's coming. But a lot of times is that we don't trust God during those times. And we can look at a Thanksgiving season and we can just see how the world markets this perfection that doesn't exist. Where everybody's family's perfect. And every marriage is in harmony. And there, no one ever runs out of money. And we as consumers can buy whatever we want, whenever we want. And all of a sudden Thanksgiving becomes about Black Friday. Spend all you can. And we can even feel sometimes that if Black Friday comes and, and the world is, is advertising all this consumerism that I've got to get it now, I've got to get it today, there'll never be a deal like this. And before we know it is that the system of the world have taken our hearts and minds and we're beginning to complain about things God's not calling us to complain about. And he says, just rest in me. Rest in that. And we have to trust that in the middle of adversity, he's at work. See, adversity won't last forever, but there are seasons of adversity. And God is going to take you through it. Here's the third thing I want us to meditate on tonight. I want you to believe that God's plan for you is bigger than you. See, we're so egocentric. 
We are individuals that we have been trained to look at our situation and our perspective and how we feel. And we get a very, very narrow view of the world. It's a view we can only see. And when we go through adversity and our timeline is not happening like we think it should. And things aren't turning out the way we thought they would by now. And maybe a situation hasn't developed like we thought we would. And we think that, well, God has let us down or God has forgotten or God has abandoned. And we fail to see there's something bigger that's happening. Uh, earlier this year on the History Channel, there was this, uh, the story of us. And it was chronicling America. And they quickly told a story that I wasn't able to verify exactly what they said. But I came pretty close. Uh, there, there was a couple named Edward Winslow and Susanna White. They were not a couple at first. Both of their spouses died in that first winter. So both of them lost their spouse that first winter in Plymouth. But when the summer came, they quickly, under John Winthrop, their spiritual leader, had a Christian marriage. And they remarried, and that was a source of strength to the pilgrims. And it was a source of life, and it was a source of hope. What, what they said on the story of us, and I confirmed it through a different source. I don't have the exact numbers, but they said to this very day of that couple who both lost their spouse and then came together. There are literally millions of Americans who can trace their lineage back to that couple. Now, I want you to think about the ramifications of that. You and your spouse Go on this great adventure for God, and then you lose one of your spouses. Could you imagine the despair, the hurt? Could you imagine how they, they could have felt? And they made the best of the situation, I guess. Suppose that, uh, I guess there's the, the law that if you need to get remarried and there's only 40 of you, it's pretty easy to find someone to, to uh, remarry or date. And I'm sure that wasn't ideal for them. It's not, you know, I, I'm supposing, I don't know their story, but... It doesn't seem ideal to me, yet through that, God, God birthed many, many people that are in this nation. And I, I think about Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I, I want you just, during this Thanksgiving season... To just trust and believe God's doing something bigger than you. We can't see the fruit of our life now. We won't see it till eternity. We have no idea how generations are going to be impacted by our witness. We don't have any idea how our godly family, there's going to be a lineage, there's going to be a heritage. We have no idea how someone that's touched in a random service like this or an exchange at a restaurant... We have no idea what God can do. And we don't need to, it's good that we don't have any idea yet because it's not us. It's the Spirit that works. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's moving and it's making every action that we have far more significant than we could ever imagine. Here's the last thing that I want you to reflect on this is I want you to celebrate and I want you to enjoy. Think of one of the things that as Christians we fail to do is we just don't celebrate good enough. We just don't know how to party good enough. 
And there's something within us that says, maybe we shouldn't do this. And, but if you work hard, you have to have times of rhythm and celebration. And the Old Testament's all about that. In fact, of all the Hebrew festivals, only the Day of Atonement is a day of mourning. The rest of them are days of celebration. Um, when Nehemiah uh, reread the word uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, and the people discovered the word and they begin to mourn over that, it just so happened to be the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. I wanted to say that because this scripture doesn't directly apply to Thanksgiving, but it just, it does, you can't apply the concept. And he said to them, and you can read Nehemiah 8.10, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. That's what we're doing Saturday with a Thanksgiving blessing, Pastor Kim. This day is holy. It's not, it's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. To our Lord, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I just want to, some of you have had a tough year. You've had some tough relational issues. You've had some financial struggles. And I think the word of the Lord is to you. Try to have as fun as you can next week. Try to avoid strife and seek peace. Celebrate as much as you can. Do what you can to make Thanksgiving special and significant and meaningful. That's an important thing because that's part of where we get the strength of the Lord. I love, uh, Richard Foster's quote and in his classic book, The Celebration of Discipline, he says, the most important benefit of celebration is that it saves us from taking ourselves too seriously. Celebration adds a note of gaiety, festivity, hilarity to our lives. We do need deeper, more earthly experiences of exhilaration. It is healing and refreshing to cultivate a wide appreciation for life. Celebration helps us relax and enjoy the good things of earth. And I just want you to know that God wants you to celebrate. And he wants you to have a time of blessing. We see Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Our kids need an extra five minutes tonight anyway for the, for the children. And the youth go an extra five minutes. So we're going to take an extra five or ten minutes here. And uh, we're going to spend some time. I want you to meditate what I want us to do, and I want us to begin to bring up the, the prayer music. And this is what I want us to do in the next few minutes. And if you're able to stay, please do. If you need to go get your kids, I understand that. Um, but we, I feel like we have a few minutes left. And there's a couple of things. First of all, we have buckets on either side. We didn't take an offering up earlier. But I want you to give to the Lord tonight out of a thankful heart. If you prepared an offering or if you want to do that out of a thankful heart. And then here we have Pastor Kim's prepared some communion for us. So what I want us to do, I want us all to stand together for a moment. And I want you maybe to take that piece of paper. You don't have to, but it's one tool. And I want you to find a place of prayer, whether you're kneeling in a seat, kneeling here. If you, if you want to sit back down in a couple of minutes, you can do that. But in the next, in the next five minutes, when you're ready... I want you to come up. I want you to take communion. I want you to give any gifts you have to the Lord. I want you to ask the Lord to, uh, to prepare your heart for a season of thanksgiving. Let's beyond simply, hey, thanks, God. Thanks, God. No, let's trust. He has a plan for us. Let's trust that He's working in our adversity. Let's trust that there's something bigger than us going on. We're part of His redemptive story. He's redeeming the world, and we're part of that story. And then let's celebrate the goodness of our God and what He's done. Let's take time to reflect on Him now.
This has been a Church in Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 